Now this week, we're going to uh, take a look at a couple of the stories that we talked about last week, uh, very briefly, just referring you to the first sermon I preached here, way back uh, in fall of last year, before we moved here, before we even knew we were coming, about who we are as a church of Christ. So let me set that up. Now, if some of you have heard these stories before, uh, you've taken a restoration history class or the like, uh, please be patient with us because we need to lay the found work, uh, foundation of who we are as a church. And like I said, there are, a couple of, there are several founding documents that, that were made for us. Some of you did not get them. We ran out last week, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, declaration and address, which we're going to talk about here in just a moment. And so uh, we're going to pass those out later. And then the other was the last will and testament of the Springfield Presbytery. Some of you got one and not the other. So um, we'll have people take care of that here in a bit. Here's the story. Thomas Campbell was a Presbyterian minister in Ireland, what we would today call Northern Ireland. The Scots-Irish were there, and they considered themselves Irish in the same sense that you consider yourselves American, even though you're on, I don't know, Cherokee land. The Irish had been, the Scots had been moved into Ireland, the six counties of Northern uh, Ireland, to pacify the locals. And they had been there for hundreds of years. So they considered themselves Irish, but they were Scots as well. That's why they called themselves Scots-Irish. By the way, just a, a little data point. If your mother is Irish and your father is Scottish like mine, you're not Scots-Irish. You know, I'm Scottish with an Irish mother, is the way it's said. If you're from the north of Ireland, you're Scots-Irish. That's where that name comes from. Anyway, they considered themselves Irish, even though all their family would have, would have uh, looked upon Scotland as their home. The Scots have been gifted in argument and division for a very long time. Uh, we're quite good at it. And that's one of the reasons why we lost several wars, frankly. But uh, Ohio Valley University, which is a Church of Christ university, chose a mascot, and they wanted to choose a mascot for their team. And they, they called me, one of the guys called me, he was so excited, he said, we're gonna call ourselves the Fighting Scots. And I, he said, what do you think? And I said, it's redundant. Just say, just say Scots, the fighting is implied. Well, Thomas was, um, was a difficult thorn in the side for the Presbyterian Church, though he did not mean to be. He was a very sweet and gentle man but they sent him to the western frontier of the colonies of America in, in the 1800s. He went as far west as you could go back then to the Western Reserve, which is what we today call Western Pennsylvania and Ohio. Uh, that was the wild frontier. While there, he found a very divided church. When he arranged a communion service, he knew that he was only allowed to give communion to people that were of his particular religious tribe. Many of us are familiar with that idea, are we not? We've come from churches that uh, you had to be a, a member there. I mean, I've been to Catholic services before and was not invited to come up to take. The reason is I'm not one of them. And there, this, this was what he found there as well. He wondered what he should do because he had a tender heart. He wanted people to come to Jesus. Yet his church said, only these people can take the communion. He was already in trouble. 
He'd already been in trouble before he'd come to America. That's why they sent him to America. They had certain charges against him. You may have a hard time believing these charges. One, he used too much scripture in his lessons. Well, I, I, I can't explain that one. That he relegated the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was their creed, to secondary status, and that didn't endear him to the bureaucrats that ran the denomination. Bureaucrats run a lot of stuff uh, in government and in uh, politics and, and, and in um, uh, churches and it's just and in jobs, and you know how difficult that can be. Remember, the first job of any bureaucracy is to strengthen and encourage the bureaucracy and make sure it grows. Well, Campbell was brought up on charges back in Ireland uh, that he insisted that somebody have saving faith but not a saving experience. I'll explain that one. Back then, the vogue was that you can only be saved if God wanted you to be saved, and he let you know you are going to be saved by giving you a vision, a dream, a miracle, um, a beam of light, some sort of encounter, some sort of supernatural encounter. Well, Campbell did not insist on this. He said you should have a faith that saves, but you don't have to have one of these experiences. He didn't require people to pledge their agreement with the creed before they took communion. If they said they pledged their faith in Christ and scriptures, that was enough for him. And he was brought on charges for that. He believed the communion could be taken without clergy or elders present. That was a very odd idea in the 1800s. Until the early 1900s, it was an odd idea that just average everyday people could take communion. Uh, Churches of Christ are the ones who broke that, by the way, and gave the communion back to the people. It was not done before we came upon the scene. We have done some really great things. He also did not disapprove of his congregation going to hear other speakers who were not of his particular tribe. That was considered outrageous. I can still remember in the Churches of Christ the first time I heard that somebody was going to hear this famous speaker and they weren't one of us. And we all went, whoa, 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 whoa. What if they like him? Then what are you going to do, huh? Next thing you know, you're going to be going to some wild, crazy, off-the-wall Amy Grant concert, and then, <laughs> then it's meth. It, it, there's a, there, it just... <laughs> There's a slippery slope. He was strictly forbidden by his church from serving other Christians. That was in America when he was here. They said, you, you cannot do this anymore. You cannot offer the communion to people who are not of our tribe. And he was of the old light seceder branch of the anti-burger sect of the Presbyterian church. By the way, you'll hear a myth sometimes. You'll hear the Church of Christ is the most divided of all the... No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Presbyterians have more divisions than we do. The Baptists have more divisions than we do. We could keep going. It's not a contest. That's not what we're trying to say. Just saying, don't repeat stuff just because you've heard it said. He was told you cannot serve them, and he decided to leave his church and be just a man of God. But his family back in Ireland didn't know this. How is he going to tell them? The Campbells, through all of these years, have been Protestants of the Presbyterian faith. They had died for it in the religious wars in, in Scotland and in England, and all the way back to 1609, all the way through 1745. How are you going to tell them that you've left that church now? 
Well, back in Ireland, Thomas's oldest son was named Alexander. Still one of the top names given to Scottish boys today. You go into a stadium uh, in, in Scotland and just say, right, Alistair, Alex, John, Ian, out, and almost everybody will leave. They, the, the naming is not terribly creative. Alexander was the older boy who used to get his family ready to come to America to join Dad. He was about 19 when he booked them passage on a ship called Scotland, Hibernia. That's the, the Latin name for it. Uh, Hibernia, going to leave October the 1st, 1808. They left the port of Londonderry in Northern Ireland, but a storm blew against the ship and drove them upon rocks against the west coast of Scotland. Shipwrecked, boats came out from the west of Scotland and they were picked up by men from Inverlochy, which is a Campbell town. Their own cousins picked them up and take, took them to safety. Unable to continue till more money be raised, they didn't have insurance back in these days, they, the relatives took them down to the big city of Glasgow. Glasgow today has over a million people. It's quite the size of a place. So they went to the largest city in Scotland, Glasgow, until more money could be raised. But what do you, what's Alexander going to do in the meantime? Goes to school. University of Glasgow, one of the oldest universities in the Western world. Uh, it's, it is such a difficult university. Very easy to get into, very hard to stay in. That's its rule. It's not like a Harvard. You want to come here? Give it a shot. But once you're there, it's hard. Let's put it this way. The diplomas that they give today are still in Latin. It is that tough. And so he went there, excelled in his studies, but he came under the influence of new teaching from the Haldanes, the Ewings, and others, <coughs> excuse me, who said things such as, you were allowed to read the Bible on your own. And that the monarch, the king, the queen, was not in charge of what you believed or what church you went to. You could be killed for that. I've stood on I don't know how many places in Europe and in Scotland as well where people were hung or burned or drawn and quartered because they did not approve of the king being the head of the church. But he began to study the scripture and he found that a lot of the rules we go by aren't there. And the more he knew about Jesus, the less interested he was in the rules. And it hit his heart, but how is he going to, what is he going to do? His dad's a preacher in this church. Well, the big day came. They were going to have communion. Enough elders had shown up that they were going to offer communion. However, to get communion, you had to go through this process of questioning to make sure that you were correct in your doctrine and thinking You've been baptized by the right people and all that sort of thing. If you passed the board, you were given a token. Whenever the time for communion came, those with tokens were invited up to take, and you showed your token, and then you could take the communion. This is not unusual. This is the way things were. Alexander was troubled by this after reading Scripture. He could find nothing in Scripture that would deny anybody the communion. By the way, I still get this whenever people say, you let kids take communion? Yeah. Unbaptized? Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I don't know that's acceptable. Well, in the Bible, it's a meal. Do you feed kids? Do you feed the unbaptized? People still have trouble with this openness. 
he had no idea, Alexander did, that his father had already broken away and was worried about how to tell him. But when the time for communion came, he looked around him and saw people crying because they loved Jesus but weren't allowed to take communion. And this might be the only chance in their lifetime for it to come around. People didn't take it every week. They only took it when the right people were there. He walked up with all the others that, with the tokens, but he kept looking back at those that were crying. And when the time came to take communion, he just reached out and dropped his token in the plate and turned and walked. We began as a movement when that token hit the metal. When we said, we're not doing this anymore. We're not letting denominations divide us anymore. We're going to be the people with empty hands and open arms. That's my phrasing, not his, but it's the same concept. But now he had a problem. How is he going to handle this with dad? They, they eventually sailed September 1809. They sailed to America, and they took word to Thomas Campbell. He had arrived, they'd arrived, so he took across the state of Pennsylvania. If you've ever been on the Pennsylvania Turnpike and you know how horrible a state that is in, I'm pretty sure it was about that same state in 1809. But he wouldn't have had to pay for the privilege, as you do now, to drive that thing. They, uh, they spent a couple days waiting for him to complete his journey, and they met him in what the locals call uh, Little Washington, Washington, Pennsylvania. We lived just about 40 minutes from there for years and got to know it well. There was a joyous reunion, but as they then began to go back to their home in Bethany, Virginia, that area, which today is West Virginia, they, um, they both wondered how to break it to the other one that they were not part of this anymore and didn't know the reason was the same. God at work. Now, I'm going to ask for a couple volunteers. If you did not get declaration and address last week, if you would hold up your hands, these people will make sure you got one. All right? We got two right here. Excellent. And we'll, after, when they come back, we will do the spring-filled presbytery. This was written by Thomas Campbell. Actually, it's much longer. This is merely the propositions. He had a huge preface, and he had some explanatory notes at the, at the end. But you, this is all free. You can get it online. Just Google. But I left it here. You can also find modern English rewrites. I didn't do that. I left it as it was and hope that that's acceptable for you. Um, not opposed to the others. I just did this. Well, he had already written this as a way to explain to his family what he had done. So as they're on the cart, on the wagon, going back home, he just asks his son, he says, I have something I'd like for you to read. I'm going to ask you to say nothing till you've read it all. Can you imagine the tension? As the son's reading it, Alexander said that his heart broke open when he realized his father had made the same decision for the same reasons he had. And at the very end, he said, I agree with this on every point. And I was wondering how to break that to you. We'll look at some of this as we go through this week, uh, rather through this series. It starts off by saying Jesus intended for there to be one church, and we are one church. Please understand something. When I put my arms around another believer in Christ who goes to a church with a different sign out front, I am not creating unity. I am merely agreeing with Jesus that we are united. We don't make unity. We accept the unity Jesus died for. Understood? That's important that we get that. 
So, the, uh, the first proposition, the Church of Christ. By the way, they chose that name intentionally. Church of Christ means all churches. It's not a brand name. The Church of Christ is not a brand name. It's the same thing as saying the Catholic Church, because Catholic means universal. That's what they went for. The Church of Christ upon earth is essentially, intentionally, constitutionally one, consisting of all those in every place that profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him in all things according to the scriptures. And manifest the same by tempers and conduct and none else, as none else can be truly and properly called Christian. In other words, they believe in him and they behave like him. That's all they needed. There is no way for you to understand, or even for I who have studied this and, and have walked in the European churches and graveyards, to understand what a cannon side against the world this was. My wife and I have stood in a field outside of Sankar, Scotland, with a pile of stones, a cairn, we call that, marking where over 100 men, women, and children were cut down by government soldiers because they had the audacity to worship without permission. Children killed by the head of their church. And it was during this time that the Campbells said, whosoever will may come. Nobody said that before. Nobody had tried that. There were a few mystics and the like that had tried something like it, but no organized movement had ever begun like this, saying, we're, we're going to be the people that say, all who believe in him are our brothers and sisters. It, it's, this was the end of religious wars among Christians. Sadly, that's not always true. Remember the Catholics and, and, and Protestants in Northern Ireland in the 60s. But this was the beginning of the end. Right now, you're... you're Let's say, and if you're Methodist, I'm just picking that name because it came to mind. Let's say that your neighbors are Methodist. I bet you're nice to them. You certainly don't tell your kids, when you get a shot, take it. <laughs> but you would have. In the 1600s, 1700s, you would have. But these men said, no. No. They're our brothers. And notice that there were no rules about how they worshiped there. Look at the second one. That although the church of Christ upon earth must necessarily exist in particular and distinct societies, locally separate from one another, that means we're too big to fit in one place. That's what it means. Yet there ought to be no schisms, no uncharitable divisions among them. They ought to receive each other as Christ Jesus has also received them to the glory of God. And for this purpose, they ought to walk by the same rule to mind and speak the same thing and to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. You might say, aha, so what are the rules? Every time they tried to make rules, they failed. They could only agree upon, we believe in Jesus. That was enough. And we'll talk more about that story as we progress along in this. We agree that Jesus wants us to agree with each other, to live in peace with each other. That's what we want. We want to be the people of Jesus. What would it be like, and I don't mean to act like we're the only people that ever had a tree blow over. 
But when we look out this morning, and before 7 o'clock shows up Kent, and then there's, there's uh, Dave and Barb, and then there's uh, Chris, and there's Zane, and immediately start clearing the way, stacking the wood. There's Barb and Cammie. They're the dynamic duo going to work over there. I'm doing nothing because I'm not qualified. I just stand there. I kept saying, do you want me? And they're going, no, no. They, they seemed a little frightened, actually, at the concept that I might do something. What would it be like if every neighborhood and every family and every situation was like that? I want you to think about how rich you would be. Now, you're thinking I'm, I'm talking about rich and friends and like, yeah, okay, fine. Let's talk money. No insurance is needed because you take care of each other's stuff. Somebody dies, you take care of that woman and the kids, you take care of them. You don't need locks on the door. You don't, if you want guns for hunting, fine, but you don't need guns for protecting yourself, won't happen. Don't need it. You don't need all the different laws about traffic because you're gonna be liking each other enough to be kind to each other. Think about all of the money you wouldn't have to spend and all the bureaucracy that would go away and now you're beginning to approach what heaven is. The community without borders. So, we don't toss our tokens into the plate. What we do is say, whosoever will may come. Then let me tell you another story. There, we have a lot of them. Before the Campbells arrived here, God was already at work doing this. He was doing it some in Europe, but mainly in America. I've got to give America its due. Maybe it's because you attracted the kind of people that weren't afraid to get on a bunch of sticks and come across an ocean. Maybe that had something to do with it. When Cammie and I lived in Virginia, very briefly, when we were first married, we went and spent six months working with an African-American congregation to turn a pet shop into a church building for them. That was our first six months of marriage. Then we went up the road an hour to Norfolk, Virginia, worked with the Naval Church for just under two years to get the money to go back home to Scotland. Well, while we were in Virginia, from time to time, we would drive past this historical marker. It wasn't like the one out in front of here. This was a statue of a pulpit with an open Bible on it. And so we stopped and read, and it was there that the Republican Methodists were born. I'll tell you who they were. Methodism began in England as the Wesleys launched a movement to restore personal holiness and passion to the Anglican Church. They weren't trying to start a new church. They were trying to reform their church. And they had a method to do it. That's why they were called Methodists. By the way, uh, the British responded by killing as many of them as possible for messing with the church because the head of the Anglican Church is the king or the queen, whichever. Um, by the way, that's one of the reasons why Queen Elizabeth doesn't want to step aside for Prince Charles because Prince Charles is divorced and remarried and they don't want him as head of the church. So she's going to stay there <laughs> until a month and a half after Jesus returns. <laughs> Wearing the same dress. Uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. When migration to the colonies picked up, Methodists had an issue. They were some of the earliest settlers, religious freedom here and all that, but they needed leadership. But like the Presbyterians, 
that the Campbells would leave 50 years later. See, this is 50 years before. They, they couldn't just make leaders. You have to let the bureaucrats make the leaders, but the bureaucrats don't like you. So what are you going to do? Well, the Great Awakening took place in America. That's where revivals just started breaking out everywhere and churches started gathering together. But it was primarily an Irish-Scottish version of the Great Awakening. And the Methodists started forming little groups to go. And then they started calling themselves the American Methodist Church. And they established some leaders. And then one of the leaders rose rapidly from deacon to elder to superintendent and then started calling himself a bishop. And he started making other bishops. His name was Francis Asbury. Some of you may have heard because there's a publishing company and a lot of things named after him. Some of the Irish and Scottish ministers didn't like this because back home they get to decide. You Americans don't get to decide. But the Methodists did it anyway. These Irish and Scottish malcontents formed a group of being angry. (laughs) James O'Kelly, Rice Haggard, William McKendry, John Allen, John Robertson. But then they started studying. And as a group, they stood up and they said, wait a minute, we just found out something. No bishop gets to rule over many churches. Nobody's ruling over us but Jesus. And that was so radical, nobody had thought of such a thing. They said there was too much English in too many churches. By that they meant too much rule and bureaucracy. Saying this before the American Revolution was as much as, you may as well run around throwing bombs. They called themselves Republican Methodist. Now that doesn't mean they didn't like the Democrat Methodist. Republican meaning every person gets a voice. That's what republic means. Uh, Democracy is majority rule, which you don't want. And again, it's not a political statement. uh, America is a republic, which means every voice matters. um, Majority rule, you don't like that. If we're hungry and and there are only four of us and three of us vote to eat you, (laughs) that's democracy at work. Republican, uh, uh, Republic form of government says no, the, the entree gets to talk and have a decision. Well, thanks. <laughs> By the way, I noticed during the table communion we had today that that group had a hard time stopping. So this is the most holy group. It's right over in there. <laughs> the Republican Methodists took the name Republican to say that individual people were allowed to think and read and believe as they were led by the Holy Spirit. They were free from the Episcopal rulers or church boards. They had five cardinal principles. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only head of the church. The name Christian and no other name. The Holy Bible as the only rule of faith and character. No creeds, no rules, no bureaucracies, no governments. Christian character, listen to this. Christian character is the only test of church fellowship and membership. By the way, that's here too. And then the last the right of private judgment and the liberty of conscience for all. So if I say, for example, that I don't think there's going to be a millennial reign, but you read the scripture and you think there's going to be one, we're still in the same church and we still love each other and we're not going to break from each other. That was so weird back then. 
And they just said, let's call ourselves Christians only. And on that marker put up by the state of Virginia, here, the Republican Methodists with Rice Haggard, O'Kelly, all of them, called themselves Christians only, the first religious group to do so. Isn't that amazing? By the way, isn't it sad that we couldn't, we could no longer put those monuments up like that with state money because we're terrified. And in some ways I understand because I've seen what happens when government and religion work too closely together. But they were the second stream. There were more. We're going to tell their stories very rapidly in the next week or two and then get on to what went wrong because we all admit our church went wrong for a while, do we not? But we came back. We're coming back rapidly. I had one person say, I don't think I could ever come back to the Church of Christ. After I would talk to them for a while, I said, stay right where you are because we're headed that way. I said, in fact, I think we're there. Don't move. Well, I'll just mention a few. In the Northeast, New England, the Christian connection was afoot. And that has a fantastic, amazing story that we'll tell. In North Carolina, there was another Presbyterian minister that was having trouble with his church. And eventually, he would leave them, go to Kentucky, involve himself in a bunch of revivals, find this wild guy named Raccoon John Smith, who always preached with two pistols. Why not? <laughs> Either get people ready to see God or just send them, I guess. Uh, but... He, uh, he, he was a rough and rowdy guy. And even though Barton W. Stone, to the day of his death, did not believe that Jesus Christ was fully equal with God, he believed that Jesus had been created by God as first and highest of all creation. Many of us would say, okay, that's it then. We're drawing a line. When Raccoon John Smith heard Barton Stone's devotion to Jesus and to Christian character, he got up in a church in Kentucky and walked across the wooden floor, stuck out his hand, and he said, on that basis, I consider you my brother. We can do this because it's been done. But we can teach our children to do it too. Everybody forgot to teach a generation. We have to teach our children this. We are the people that are still so unique don't, aren't, aren't you tired of people when they hear where you go to church saying, you're the people that don't like music and you're the people that think you have to be baptized to go to heaven? Hey, to me, baptism is, is way up there in importance. And I'm not going to ever, ever apologize for that. But we're even weird there because we believe that you can baptize. Campbell and, and, and uh, Thomas and Alexander kept trying to find a way to get baptized. Uh, they eventually would find Baptists to do it for them. Then they wondered, does it count? <laughs> but they ended up, uh, the, the Campbell people started baptizing each other. And then they wondered, does that count? Because they had been taught apostolic succession. All the way from the apostles, you have to have this unbroken line. Were any of you told by your teachers there have always been the remnant of God's people that worship just like us? No. There's something called history. Go look at it. Try to find us. No. But there have always been people of God that thought these walls aren't right. 
but nobody had the nerve to say it until they all said it and decided we can lay aside our arguments and shake each other's hands. I want us to be known. When we say we're from 4th Avenue, they don't say, oh, you're the people that don't like music. Well, they can't do that now. Or you're the people who think you have to be baptized to go to heaven because, we'll, hey, you can come in and do it yourself if you want to. We even let a woman baptize. I almost see if any eyebrows flew off. Because you know something? It has nothing to do with the baptizer. It has everything to do with the person going under the water. Testosterone not required. <laughs> Move right along. We, uh, I, I would rather when they hear our name, they say, oh, you're the people that love people. That's exactly right. We are. Amen, church? Amen.